Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of course, I'm your host, Sam Wiles, and today this is another little bonus episode where we are here to detail a recent live event that I and my guest here today attended not three days ago. Though, rather fortunately, this live show links serendipitously, or rather cynically, to the recent 50th anniversary re-release of The Beatles' Abbey Road. Of course, go back and check out the review that I did of that release with Nathan from the Deep Purple podcast. And of course, check, check us out on Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. And check out the blog at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com after you've left us a five-star iTunes review. But anyway, today we're going to be discussing a gig from a tour, but not a gig from a band, but a gig from a one-man show. There are many famous names in the Beatle world, but in recent years... For the ardent Fab Four fan, no name has received more universal acclaim than Mark Lewison. He is widely and accurately described as the foremost authority on the Beatles, and his historical insight into the band and their day-to-day lives is seemingly unparalleled. He's released loads of books on the band, as well as a book on Wings for the Wingspan release, which I do own, but he is most revered for his publication of Tune In, or Volume 1 of Tune In, to be more specific. The first of a three-part series that has turned Lewison into the George R.R. R. Martin of Beetledom, in the sense that every single fan knows how long it's going to take for him to get the next piece of work out, and the limitations of the human form on this earth, shall we say, morbid as that is. But to fund this endeavour, and to give us a little sneak peek at Part 3, for the most loyal of fans... Lewiston has taken to the road with a show that details the writing, production and release of The Beatles' Abbey Road, as well as the history surrounding the album and The Beatles themselves in 1969. The show has been selling phenomenally well and has been doing just as well with the critics, and not to put it too bluntly or too crudely, but I'm just fucking blown away by the fact that I was lucky enough to go along myself to see what all the fuss was about. However, I will not be alone in discussing this show. My guest today, as you probably already read from in the title, is Matt Phillips. Matt has been on the show twice now, first to discuss McCartney's Glastonbury gig for one of our gig review shows, and then to help me through the videography of Egypt Station. Again, go back and check out those episodes if you want to know Matt a little better. But if this is your first time, then all you need to know is that he's a long-time friend of the show and long-time supporter of the show. Go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash McCartneyPod, of course. But Matt is here once again to help me unpack this glorious live show that we just so happened to catch at the same time in the same place. Everyone, welcome Matt back to the show. Matt, what's going on, my friend? Hello, Sam. How's it going? Dude, I am still absolutely beaming from this show. I left Hornsey Road feeling elated. You know, it's, it's brightened my whole week. But obviously, for me, one of the real highlights was the fact that 
Well, I've actually got a visual reference for you now, man. This is going to be a bit of a, a different podcast. Because prior to the show starting, we actually met for a little drink in the Victoria Pub, which was very nice indeed. It was actually fucking great to finally to finally meet you, dude. Uh, I hope I lived up to all of your expectations. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, it's yeah. good. It's, it's great to meet, and uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm glad we were able to do it, and uh, you know, put a put a face to a name, and uh, and well, yeah, sounds like you uh, enjoyed the show as as much as I did. I cannot believe how lucky we are to have seen it. But before we dive right in, where does Abbey Road in general rank in terms of your list of great Beatles albums? Is 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 it a favourite? And when did you first come across it? Oh, well, um, to be honest with you, I first came across most of the tracks probably as part of the anthology um, release because that's when I sort of, uh, that was my main uh, introduction to the Beatles, really, weirdly, mm-hmm. okay. um, was a lot of those anthology tracks. And um, and then the actual album itself probably, you know, in the, started listening in, in, in a bit more depth uh, in, in sort of the early, probably the early 2000s, something like that. And then um, I th- it's definitely one that's um, that wasn't an immediate favourite of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know, I know. A lot of people find it the easiest, sort of, or, or the most, uh, you know, listener-friendly album. That that's the first one that they um, they get into a lot of the time. But um, no, for me, it's definitely been one that has has sort of grown on me, and um, I, I, you know, appreciate different bits of it. It's um, probably where would I where would I rank it? it it's probably not in. I prefer the individual tracks. The album as a whole, for me, probably isn't in my sort of top five. And whether it's sort of controversial, you know, I don't know. I know it's a lot of people's favourite album, and a lot of people are like, you know, think that Abbey Road is by far and away the, you know, the best album. But um, for me, the the others as a, albums as a whole just provide a bit more, do something else for me. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mentioned this on the last episode, but A Hard Day's Night has recently knocked Abbey Road from my top three favourite albums from, mm-hmm. from, from the Beatles. But I was listening to Abbey Road on the bus back from the show, and I know I was on a, a little bit of a high at that moment, but I can remember thinking, oh, God, how have I made a mistake? <laughs> you know, when you when you just said, said it then, you know, you like the individual tracks probably more than the album. And I do get that, because whilst it is their most polished record in terms of like cohesive songs that go together i think it's just as stark as the white album in terms of like seeing where all these different guys are going and probably why they shouldn't be constrained to a band anymore yeah definitely i think um you know even with this even with the sort of the medley that you'd think well that would that you know that's there to, to be listened as a whole i do probably find myself listening to probably from um Golden Slumbers onwards, you know, to, towards the you know the second half of that medley more mm-hmm. more than I do the the first half probably weirdly enough. See, for me, it's pretty much just Mean Mr Mustard and Polythene. Really, yeah, interesting. Just those two, <laughs> especially uh, with stuff that we found out later on as well. What would you say are your top picks from Abbey Road song wise? Definitely, the standout songs for me really are George's two songs, mm-hmm. which are. The, the more you know, the, the older I get, the more I listen to the album, and the more you know, you know about the Beatles. The, the more incredible I find it, really, as listening to George's solo stuff as well. That you know, he did he did some great songs before Abbey Road and afterwards, but I really feel that that was his peak as a as a songwriter to 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 have mm-hmm. arguably the best two tracks on the album, 
in in the last album in in a band that has got Lennon and McCartney among the songwriters you know that I find it more and more incredible you know each day really how he's sort of pulled something and uh, and here comes the sun out the bag so those two for me definitely and then probably I was going to say you know probably that you know the McCartney numbers in the medley and you know and um you never give me your money but you know the, the Lennon songs as well I probably prefer because to oh, oh, I want you she's so heavy oh, come together as well but yeah so, so so they you know they're probably the ones I find myself listening to most I mean picking George's stuff is a, a very safe bet with that album because yeah absolutely he does just <laughs> knock it out of the park did you uh, check out the recent 50th anniversary re-release of Fabio Road? Did you pick that up? I d- yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I mentioned to you on Monday, I, I didn't this time buy the physical, you know, deluxe versions of that just because I was a little bit maybe, A, I was probably a bit underwhelmed with the book and everything else you get with, with, with the White Album last time possibly mm-hmm. and also the fact that they were already, they were released straight to streaming, you know, so there was no real um, whether... Whether well, Apple realised that uh, they were making more money from the streaming, you know, so they thought they may as well just put it all on there, as opposed to Sergeant Pepper's, where you felt you were getting something a little extra for your money mm-hmm. um, by buying the physical one. But um, but no, I've been listening to it, um, and there are some interesting little, uh, interesting few bits of bobs on there, but possibly not one that was quite as uh, hotly anticipated in terms of the bonus material than the previous two releases. But the actual remixes, I've yeah, I've been enjoying them. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. Like I say, bit underwhelming. Uh, we go into that a lot on the last episode. Go yeah, and, go and check that out. Could you imagine if Lewison had to read a review where all someone said about him was, "It's got a few interesting bits and bobs in it." You know? <laughs> I think he'd be horrified. Yeah. Have you been aware for long of Mark Lewison? Have you bought and read any of his publications? Yeah, I I came across um, him, Mark Lewis, and first of all, I, I used to, well, I still do follow, although it's not very active nowadays, a blog called um, the Kenwood blog, which is a really great, if, for Beatles fans, if you look it up, it's all about uh, John Lennon's house in Esher uh, called Kenwood, mm-hmm. which he bought when he was in the Beatles. And there's a few things in there about other Beatles houses as well, um, and, and locations. And it was in there that I, I saw that Mark Lewis and... Uh, that I first read about this biography that he'd been writing. And I bought TuneIn when it came out and went from there, really. You know, it, it doesn't take long to realise that uh, he's sort of like the, the leading authority on the Beatles. And it was great. To, I, I saw him a couple of years ago at the Beatle Week in Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, where he was interviewing some of the panellists. Um, and, yeah, it was great to see him again. Rather shamefully, and uh, much to the amusement of a good friend of the show, Tom Quay, I haven't actually gone out and bought TuneIn yet. Like, I know I should have. I know it doesn't make sense. But I'm just kind of daunted by the bloody size of the thing. Like, it's just it, it is so a bit of a beast. Huge. Yeah, it is a bit of a beast. But it, um, one thing I did, well, the second time around I read it, I tried to, um, it references a lot, a lot of music in there, a lot of songs that were, influential on the Beatles in their youth, uh, you know, as well as when they sort of formed as a band. And I tried to, to see if I could listen to every song as it was mentioned um, in the book. So, you know, that, that added an extra little element. I can't remember whether I actually did or not. But yeah, it's, it's uh, especially the, the extended edition is, it is pretty massive, but I think it's, um, 
it's definitely a must. Ah, oh, that'd be very interesting to get a, a good Spotify playlist up of every single song mentioned in Tune In Volume One. That yeah, would be, yeah. That'd be a Spotify playlist that would go on for several hours. I imagine that'd be very interesting to, mm. to uh, go through indeed. When you uh, first heard about Hornsey Road, though, Mark Lewison's new show that he's touring right now at time of recording, what was it about it that caught your interest, and how long was it before you went out and got a ticket? Um, well, it was very interesting to see, first of all, that Mark was obviously doing a, a kind of a, a, a sh- you know a show, so to speak, because I, I you know, t- to my knowledge, he's not really done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, most of the time when I've heard him, it's been. Uh, either publicity for tune-in or, you know, guesting on the occasional podcast, like we all do. Not on this one, he hasn't. Not on no, this no. one, Matt. Well, you know, maybe maybe after this favourable review. Yeah, it, it seemed really interesting. And, you know, it, I saw there was a, a date just up the road in Birmingham and um, thought I'd, I'd, I'd get involved. It, it really, uh, you, you know that you're going to learn something at one of Mark, you know, no matter how much you know about the Beatles or how much you think you know there's always more stuff to know and and the the methods that he uses and the sort of attention to detail is is unmatched really so you you know that you're going to come away having learned something from one of his shows which which i did well that's interesting you should bring that up because as a Beatle fan something that i'm always confronted with is that certain museums or documentaries or films simply do not offer me new information in terms of mm. information about the Beatles. Did you walk away from this show with that feeling, or did you definitely feel like I've got 16 bouts of new trivia to tell everyone? Yeah, I, I, I definitely... There was stuff in there, obviously, that that I was aware of. Um, but no, there, there was a lot of stuff. And, and I think just the way the way it was presented, one of the things that I, I was was always a bit cloudy in my mind was where, where this transition happened from the letter B sessions into, oh, we're recording Abbey Road now. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, you look, you, you watch the anthology series or you read stuff and it's, and it's just, it's, it's almost kind of glossed over a bit. And, oh, then we decided to go back in and have one last go. Whereas actually, <laughs> actually, actually the way he presents it, it becomes a lot clearer and the context around it all, you know, what, what, uh, and that's one of the big things from tune in really is the every step of the way he's given the context of what's going on with the other various characters in the Beatle world. So yeah, the, it made it a lot clearer in my head, and and it made a lot more sense as to oh, oh this is what happened after the you know the, you know the, those let it be sessions never really ended if you like mm-hmm. they just kind of became a, a new album which is which you know left me with more to chew on because I was thinking well you know how do, how did they resist the temptation to just almost shelve this album that had let it be and don't let me down and long and winding road and say oh we'll deal with that later instead of saying well look, we've got those amazing tracks let's put them on Abbey Road <laughs> but clearly they did well one of the things about let it be was how they didn't really give them enough time to relax from their white album sessions and it's almost mm. like compiling like they have about they have a couple of months from the white album to let it be and then they've got what was it like five weeks or something like that from the end of, of the let it be sessions before they're back in the studio again recording yeah. more stuff and it only goes to highlight how much of abbey road is an album cobbled together of songs that have already been previously demoed and previously been attempted by the Beatles themselves bar a couple of exceptions 
and it, it just blew me away as to how polished the final product is, despite the fact that half of these songs come from the Rishikesh writing sessions. You know, it all still sounds valid and up to date and current. And I mean, the album t- today still sounds like the, their most modern album. And like you say, even if there was a, th- a few things I did know here and there, you know, if you've read uh, Revolution in the Head or Beatles songs and stuff like that, you will know b- the main bits of trivia about about each song. But I felt like a lot of the information that, even if it wasn't brand new, was still solidifying and contextualising a lot of stuff that I kind of maybe half knew or th- or just thought I knew because of just one sentence. And I walked away coming out of there thinking... I know the Beatles in 1969 like the back of my hand now. And that felt very good. I felt very rewarded in that sense in terms of information. Just before we go on, did you get... um, Was there ever a sense of like... You know when like I went to see Paul, there was a bit of like, ah, I kind of just want to see him, you know, just in case I never never do. And Mark Lewison is the George R.R. Martin of the Beatles author world. And was there ever a sense of like, I just... I want to see him in case I never get the chance again, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously there was a, a very interesting thing that he said very near the start um, was that obviously he acknowledged the fact that he gets asked a lot about the second volume of the biography and sort of gave away that that we, he said that we wouldn't have long to wait. So, you know, what, how long that is actually going to be, I don't know, but, you know, I, I'd, I'm, secretly hoping that if, if it's generally it's before christmas time isn't it that, uh, that sort of people start getting these books out that if it's not this year then it's going to be next year hopefully so um so yeah absolutely. definitely we want to get a chance to read this guy's work before he gets uh well you know <laughs> you too old to write anymore or uh... you don't want to say it do you but like that is a genuine thing that people must have asked him like you know is there a contingency plan if if let you know yeah but at the same time this you can you can see by the um by the attention to detail and the the way that he goes about his work that it's got to be done right you know there's no point him oh yeah it doesn't benefit any of us by him rushing it and giving us half the story the whole uh attraction of of his work is that he delves so incredibly deep you know, more more than well, you know, the the little the Mister Mustard segment, you know, showed that that uh, that he he goes to the depths that no other sort of Beatles researchers do, and and we get this this incredible um, story and the and the truth, you know, hopefully of the story as well. Oh, you you know what? You've just reminded me of that of of all the newspaper clippings that he that he gets on the screen and. The whole show is filled with brilliant pictures and behind-the-scenes snapshots yeah. as well. Like, despite the fact that it was a lecture, it was it was still a very visually exciting show. Like, if you couldn't see Mark himself, you were festooned with beautiful Beatle imagery on the screen. Well, and the and the the, um, the smell of the joysticks as well, which I thought was a really clever thing to do. Yeah, because it's something I've never really thought of. Really, is what the you know you know that they are all smoking. Um, and, and smoking all sorts of things, but you know the the when you I was kind of aware of it when I walked into the into the theatre, but then it wasn't until he said it that's like oh yeah that's a, a smell and it really uh, it was a really clever thing to do. 
Yeah, so um, for those who might not know, what one of the things that Mark Lewison does is he wants to excite sight, sound, and smell, and it's the, he uses the actual brand of joysticks or incense candles that George Harrison actually had inside Abbey Road Studios. So outside of, you know, perhaps some, some of the uh, audience running up and touching the Abbey Road chair that was on stage, you know, he was he, he was doing everything he could to put us there. And... Like I say, I would never have thought of that. It was it was it was really cool. So we made our way through the lobby and got our refreshments and stuff. Very extremely pricey refreshments, actually. I was very fortunately in the very very front row of seats, just to the right of stage. You were about five or six rows back in the main area, weren't weren't you? Yeah, I was kind of smack bang um, in the middle, really. Yeah, really kind of central in the stalls and uh, and in the middle of them. So. Uh, yeah, no, I felt like I had a really good view. And it was packed as well, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, it was great to see. You know, yeah. lots of, uh, you know, big wide range of people as well. Yeah, so it was, it was at the Alexandra Theatre in Birmingham on the 28th, just earlier this week. And I actually noticed that as well. There was a wide gamut of people, young, old, all, all different types of people, which was very encouraging to see. At the start of the show, just before he gets into the meat of it, he explains, though, that... Whilst this is indeed a sneak peek look at part three, like forget about part two, Matt. We we were having a look at part three of his book mm. here, which was very exciting. But part of the reason that he was doing it in this way and putting on a show at all was to further the research and the writing of both parts two and three. Um, and, you know, regardless of anything else, I think I'll say now that both you and me were glad that Lewison put on a show like this. But what do you think about the idea of him deciding to fund himself and his projects in this particular way, as opposed to, say, crowdfunding? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting way of going about it. I mean, I don't know. I guess the problem with the crowdfunding is that because he's obviously got a... I'm sure he wouldn't be short of um, short of people willing to, to fund him, but I get the sense that he's the kind of guy that would want to make sure people got something back and i think the fact that he's probably got the publishing contract and, and all that sorted out anyway that, that it's not quite um, the same as well if you crowd for you know if you give me um you know make a a, a donation or, or whatever then i'll this will also pay for the book to be printed and that kind of thing you know the book's already going to be released hmm. Regardless, and, and I get the I get the impression that he, he he maybe doesn't or wouldn't feel comfortable with people kind of paying his wages and 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 not being able to directly give him something back, perhaps. But yeah, there'd be no shortage of people willing to willing to do that because um, because we all know we're going to get something uh, amazing at the end of it. But at the same time, it's great to to be able to to see him and, and actually hear him talk about it. It is a bit a bit of a self handicap in the modern age though because and like I know he's old school but with crowdfunding it's it's not about giving people things it's just about making wild promises and then hoping that they don't ask for for their money back when you eventually don't give them the goods and come on I mean he could just say if you support me I'll give you a signed copy of the book or there'll be a special edition for those Patreon supporters, you know, something exclusive like that. Or he could just do a private podcast or just release some tidbits here or there. I'm sure with a clever social media executive, he could do something very, very interesting with a crowdfunding. The whole thing, 
wasn't an extravagant production, Horns You Rode, but there were a few touches on the stage that I felt quite charming. What did you think of the uh, the decor on the stage, Matt? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was something I guess you know that like you say that we're getting the audio, which was that was also amazing to hear. Really, um, very loud, high quality audio of, of some of these songs, but I guess there had to be some extra visual elements so so it didn't come across as being a bit too dry you know what i mean mm-hmm. just uh, just just up there watching uh, or, or too lecture like so yeah no it was really uh, it, it was a nice touch we had the little abbey road walkway and, and the big traffic lights and stuff and he himself even even had like a little traffic light that was like almost his remote control for the show yeah. which which i did like as well and he was dressed in in his sunday best which i liked though he did remind me a little bit of uh the joker's outfit in in the new joker film <laughs> it did share certain similarities there yeah, it was nice. Uh, he had the objects up there as well on the stage. I, I did have a little chuckle at the biscuit tin. Yes, um, which, um, is, which is a a, a, a favourite little anecdote of. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're, you're into Beatles memes, but uh, oh yes, um, <laughs> it's a, a favourite little one. So, for those of you who weren't at the show, Lewison had a, a table just to the right hand side of the stage that was dressed in a series of Beatles relics. And we had things like the tin of McVitie's biscuits, like you say. We had a chair from Abbey Road Studios, some incense sticks, a 10 bob note, a pack of Everest cigarettes, and a copy of the Beatles rock band. Um, am I missing any? Uh, so we had like the, oh, the, a copy of uh, Sun King book. The book Sun King, that, yeah. yeah. And what Lewison was doing was essentially saying, like, I'm not going to tell you what these are, but they're going to pop up in the story. And it was, again, another fun visual way to engage with you and keep you going along and thinking, oh, OK, I wonder how this book's going to appear here here or there. And it was great spotting them when they did come up. Um, personally, though, I was very pleased to see the Beatles rock band on the table. Mm. And we're going to get into the songs that you just touched on there. Um, the, the reason for the video game being on that table... I think it was the PS3 version, if I'm correct, was that, um, and this is the first of so many great bits of trivia that we got from this show, is that after the game's release, a hacker cracked into the game's code and made all of these separate tracks from Abbey Road that had to be you know, made available for the separate guitar and the drums that the game required. And those were now available for anyone to make their own mix. So in that spirit, Lewison offers his own remixes of the music. And what did you think of uh, Lewison stepping into George Martin's shoes and giving us his own version of Abbey Road? Yeah, it, it was really it was the 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 right way I think to to, to go about it. You know, it, it presented, and and you know, I guess a lot of people in the audience as well, you know, might not have have heard the songs presented like that as well. So it was really. Um, Really clever thing to do and really interesting thing to do. There's a there is a a, a podcast actually. Um, I don't know if you heard of. It's called the Beatles Multi Track Meltdown. Oh God, there's another one I'm gonna have to listen to now. Yeah, yeah. So so, so that's they they do a very similar thing, taking these um, stems. I think they're called from uh, from rock band, mm. and getting the um, and getting the individual um, individual isolated tracks. Um, which yeah, I. I I can't get enough of that stuff. I love listening to the the isolated ones. It just adds a whole new element to it. Um, yeah, it was really good. 
it really shows you how rough and ready a lot of the actual sounds are as well. Like a lot of the vocals are a lot more imperfect than you might think once they're, you know, buried in the mix. And yeah, even when he played the solo for Harrison something, I was like, hang on, this is a bit more jangly and a bit more loose than what is on the final record. Because that's just so perfect and trimmed and cut in such a way. What I did like, though, it was just it was able to show the music both as something to enjoy like you know in terms of value for money it was great just to sit in a theater full of people where they're blasting abbey road at full volume but i just loved hearing oh i never quite heard that rhythm guitar part or i never heard that bass or that keyboard part it was buried in the mix before so that was again so much stuff for you to digest and have fun with here in terms of the meat of the performance, though, the first part of the show did a kind of separate deep dive into each of the Beatles, as well as George Martin and where they were in their lives, respectively. And then he starts slowly introducing the songs themselves in the order that they were recorded rather than uh, track listing, starting with I Want You, She's So Heavy and ending with The End. Was there anything about the Beatles and their four particular backstories that you learnt during this part of the show, Matt? Definitely the bit that interested me was about um, John's uh, little trip in the car with with Yoko and the children, Um, because I I knew they went to Scotland, um, but I didn't know the the cross-country route they took to get there, going into from sort of London into Wales um, and and around Liverpool and, and up that way. And it was really interesting, the research that he'd done you know, looking at all the local newspapers to to see where they uh, where they'd stopped along the way. So yeah, so that so that little story was was, was really good because I, I like I say I was I was aware of the um, the journey and and the, the car crash and everything like that, but um, but not about where they'd been along the way. Even more so, I didn't even know that the first three weeks of Abbey Road's recording did not have Lennon in there at any capacity because he was yeah. injured from a car crash. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that changes the entire context of the album. And it got me thinking, like, is this why the album's so McCartney heavy? Or maybe if Lennon had been there, would he have just been as equally disinterested as he was in the Let It Be session? You know, my, my mind started racing. There was loads of questions that, that immediately sprung. I know it sounds cynical, but there was another part of me that thought maybe McCartney was trying to secure an even greater control of the band in in Lennon's absence, like showing that they didn't need John, and maybe he's preparing the band for a future maybe where Lennon wants his divorce, but maybe it doesn't dissolve the rest of the band and that they carry on with the three of them and Billy Preston or Eric Clapton, something like that. Yeah, that car crash with John, that was such a revelation. And then that's the revelation that leads into the like Yoko's bed being brought into the studio. And, and like when you're an early Beatle fan, you just read that there was a bed in the studio. You don't read that it was it was because she was like recovering and you know, just yeah. had a major car crash. You thought, Oh, it's just kooky Yoko. And then he mentioned that uh, someone had nicked one of the legs off the bed and the bed had three legs. And I was sat there thinking, oh, my God, there's a Paul McCartney song called Three Legs from Ram. I'm going to ask. That makes sense. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to ask Mark Lewison about that later. And yeah, he immediately made the connection. He made the reference. I can't believe I thought that I knew something that Mark Lewison didn't. (laughs) Um, And then we come to the intermission where I made a little dash back up to the bar 
in a feeble attempt to find some sustenance. And it turns out that the Alexandra, as wonderful a venue as it was, had not had their shipment of snacks. So I was terribly hungry, hungry throughout, throughout the entire thing. And I could definitely hear a lot of people rustling through packets of chocolate and stuff as that was all that was available. You didn't have an ice cream then? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, I, had a, I had a little ice cream at the interval. <laughs> the front, so yeah, that's very British, very t- uh, traditional. Mm. What was very cool about that intermission, though, I'm not sure if I told you this on the night, but when I was walking back, two chaps called me over, and they were like, "I'm sorry, are you Sam Wiles from <laughs> All or Nothing?" And I was like, "Yeah, I am." Wow. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it was so last. Fame at last. Uh, the main chap was name was Tony Cox. He's probably listening to this right now. Shout out to Tony. We had a great chat in the intermission. And I basically sat down back in my seat with a very swollen ego, to say the least, which probably helped my enjoyment of the second half of the show. I didn't need it, though. The second half of the show just had a breakneck momentum. Obviously, from this point on, it's almost purely just about the songs themselves which really kept me engaged and kept me motivated to see where this was going and where it was going to end. The overall length of the show, Matt, was two and a half hours. Like, did you even feel that length at all? No. Um, and, you know, at, at the start, when, when we were going in, I could see the, um, the, yeah. the times on the list. I was like, oh, so, you know, if it, if it's, I think it's going to be a long time. You know, what, what's he going to fill it with? But no, you know, it seemed to, like you said, yeah, definitely it seemed to fly by and there was... Um, I was really uh, at no point did I kind of lose interest or you know even you know okay yeah some of it some of it you know but at no point did my mind you know kind of wander off or anything like that you know I was really uh, really enthralled the whole way through couple of other things that were brought up in this second part we had the infamous tape that apparently Lewison has had to redact from this performance due to pressure from the Beatles themselves and Apple the real question is, Matt, what was on that tape and what do they not want us to hear? Is it Paul is Dead stuff, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Well, funnily enough, I think I mentioned to you that um, on the way home, I, I listened to uh, uh, another another rival podcast. Uh, keep plugging other people's podcasts, Sam. I'm sorry. I am the Egg Pod. Of course. Uh, and the latest episode, uh, Ian Lee's on there. And they're discussing the, the Lewis and Show on there. Or the, they, they make a reference to it because they both seen it. Mm-hmm. And apparently the the transcript to the tape, uh, I'll have to go back and listen to the podcast because I didn't make a note of the name, but the transcript of the tape was published in a book in the 70s. Okay. So it is out there um, somewhere. From what we do know, it's a lot of pretty titanic information, like the idea that it wasn't necessarily going to be their last album. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney apparently didn't like Obladi Oblada or Maxwell Silverhammer much himself, and that John's chastising him for focusing on cheap singles rather than making more interesting album tracks. We've got Paul mentioning how he didn't really think George's songs were all that good up until Abbey Road, which I think might might be ninety percent of the reason why they don't want the tape being widely circulated. Yeah, and we even had the infamous proposed four 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 two split that was going to go onto all future Beatles albums, which just sounds like an absolutely terrible idea, if you ask me. But yeah, so many bombshells dropped then. Like my my mouth was just agape when he was just going through all of this stuff. It was, it was definitely interesting, especially after the kind of the disagreement, if you want to call it that, about the, about the Eastmans and, um, uh, you know, and the management that had happened prior to that, that they were still clearly still on, still 
thinking of themselves as a band and 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 that they were going to be a band going forward but then it was obviously in that period immediately following the release of that tape where you can see well, okay well that was a point when the decision was made in probably john's head um so yeah it, it, it added a lot of clarity other big bombshell the last one i wanted to mention just before we start to wrap this up like i knew that lennon had originally wanted i want you she so heavy to end the album and that Paul was supposedly meeting him halfway yeah. by having it end side one. But I never knew that it was originally all of side two was going to be side one and all of side one was going to be side two. And it basically just shattered all of my preconceived notions as to how an album's built and how track listing works. And Lewison goes into the detailing of how uh, songs are sequenced in that world. And just the idea of picturing a world where Abbey Road was backwards was just maddening. Yeah, and it makes, but it, you know, it makes total sense um in a way that, that that it's got that hard cut and that you know what a closer that would be to the album yeah it kind of almost makes sense <laughs> yeah and maybe just the end the title to the end is just referencing the fact that the, the lyrics contain the phrase the end maybe that was just the yeah end. or just the end of the medley you know the end of, of that group of songs. i never thought of that matt it's just the end of the medley oh my god i never thought of that <laughs> the end of they were stitching together and you know, and 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 he also sort of made reference to the fact that you know, by the time, as you said, John had been away, by the time John came back into the sessions, which were already well underway, they'd already made the decision to do the medley. So they probably just said to John, "I've got a couple of songs to chuck in there, short ones." And John goes and says, "Oh, well, what have I got knocking around?" And plucks those couple of ones out of the bag. Well, it all it all worked out in the end, anyway. Yeah. So, Matt, any final closing thoughts on Mark Lewison's Hornsey Road? No, other, other than um, we definitely recommend that people um, go and see the show. Maybe we'll uh, we'll leave it as the uh, final surprise without mentioning what the about the title of the show. Um, you know, the unusual title. So may, maybe maybe leave that as a surprise to uh, to listeners who might be going to see the show. It's so funny you should say that because I know for a fact that the moment I went to the toilet is the part where he revealed why it's called Hornsey Road. And like, <laughs> as I was coming out of the toilet, he he literally he was like, and that's why it's called Hornsey Road. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap. Oh, well. Well, I guess I'll have to ask you what it means off air because we don't yes. want, 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 want to spoil it. <laughs> Final thoughts on my end, folks. Yeah, really good value for money. It was a fantastic night out. I hope Lewison goes on to do other shows like this. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he doesn't do crowdfunding and that he needs to continually fund himself by himself. And if he was to do a show next year on Let It Be, by fuck, I'd go see that as well. But if he was to touch anything to do with Paul McCartney or Wings or The Beatles or anything like that, I'd definitely go see him. He definitely sold himself to me as well as like a stage presence. He wasn't like a nervous author or anything like that. He had that mm. same kind of charm and debonair that he's displayed on multiple other podcasts. And overall, I left with a big old smile on my face. Didn't leave quite as early as you, though, Matt. Uh, just before we finish, I, I suppose I should mention, and if you followed us on the Twitter, you will know this already, but I did actually stay behind for a little meet and greet with Mark Lewison at the end. There was probably about 20 of us waiting, and he came through, and he spoke to a few of his friends and family first. People were clapping and stuff. And he sat down and was like, oh my God, what, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? And I'd actually recorded my uh, part two of my Press to Play review with Ken Michaels, who you'll know from Every Little Thing and the things we said today and Talk More Talk. He's interviewed Mark Lewis a couple of times now. 
And I just went up to Mark Lewison and went, oh, I was talking to uh, Ken Michaels today on my uh, little podcast. And Ken just wanted me t- to tell you that he says hello. And uh, <laughs> Lewison was like, oh, I suppose I better, I better listen to your podcast then. And I was like, oh, no, please don't. You definitely don't have to do that. It's awful. I don't know why I said that. I thought I was probably being charming or something. And now I bet he's never actually going to listen to it now. But I got a shamefully millennial photo with him. And that was that. That was that was the end of Hornsey Road. Um, I enjoyed it. I think you enjoyed it, Matt, safe to say? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Right, everyone. This has been Paul or Nothing, just a quick review ep- episode of Hornsey Road. I just wanted to get this out nice and quick whilst the air is still fresh and thick with the scent of Abbey Road. It's not number one anymore, but it's still in the, the album chart, so it's great to see that the Beatles are still alive and kicking. Thank you for coming on the show, Matt. Can't wait to have you on again soon, mate. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you uh, on Monday and uh, cheers. And thank you for your continual support for this podcast as well, Matt. And yeah, if you can go and see Mark Lewison's Hornsey Road, then I bloody well suggest that you go and do so. Go check out his website, links down below, and see if you still have a chance of seeing him live. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to all of our Twitter followers and to everyone who follows us on Facebook as well. This has been another quick episode for you folks, and I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Denny Laney is probably already playing us out by now. Hopefully, Parts of Peace Part 1 will be the next thing you hear from me, but you very well know you've heard that one before. (laughs) Okay, everyone, keep listening to Paul. Take care. Have a nice day. Play us out, Denny.